0: This podcast is brought to you by PencilPay, growth software for product suppliers. Welcome to Product Hub, the show where we take a deep dive into great product businesses and the founders who created them. This week, we interview Guy Greenstone, who I met just over a year ago when I convinced him to start using PencilPay founder of one of Australia's most iconic craft breweries, Stomping Ground. And over the last year, the Stomping Ground sales and accounts team have shown us that good people really do drive good businesses. Guy tells us the Stomping Ground story and we dig into some of the commercial elements that will be helpful for breweries in their first 24 months of operations and those with established businesses wondering what's next. I'm Tim Dimitriou. Hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: Guy, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. So, I, I saw I saw that you were a trained chemical engineer. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I, University of New South Wales. I uh, that was my uh, degree um, back in the day. So yeah, finished. Uh, what made you do that? Um, good question. I, I my my dad was really keen for me to do it. Yeah, and okay. I, I <laughs> as loved, they do. <laughs> as they do. I I loved science. I loved chemistry, and um I didn't really know what I was in for to be honest. Um, it was a uh, it's a pretty tough degree. It's probably one of the tougher ones you can do. And um, I halfway through it, I wasn't sure that I ever wanted to be a chemical engineer. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to finish it. Um, and it, I mean, it, you know, you learn a lot. You learn how to problem solve. You learn how to, um, you know, there, there's obviously the sciences that you, know, that you learn and the maths, etc. So it was, a, it was a fantastic degree. Um, and at some point I thought I might never use it, but I, um, turns out I have.
0: I was going to say um, that the discipline
1: will be very, very, um, you know, have, have plenty to do with actually, actually, actually making beer. <laughs> yeah. Which is weird because I, my first job out of, um, uni was actually with a big brewery and I was working specifically in engineering and that, I did that for a year and then I moved into the commercial side of the business okay. and never yeah, to yeah, do yeah. any engineering again. And I thought that was it, but then it came full circle and with the brewery. Et I'm sort of starting to use all of those, um, yeah, everything I learned again.
0: Awesome. And um, I guess, how did you
1: kind of get started?
0: Um, obviously, you know, we're in, you know, you, how, long, how, long, how
1: long have you had stomping ground for now? Stomping ground, five and a half years we've been up and running. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, and then before that was the local tap house, which is, um, you know, a bit of an institution of a... Um, Specialty beer venue in St yep. Kilda, and then Darlinghurst, and that started back in two thousand and eight. So yeah, cool.
0: So your kind of your your entry point into the industry was 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 via the hospitality sector first.
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'd worked at a brewery before, a big mm-hmm. brewery, in in several different roles. Uh, one was in in engineering, another one was in corporate strategy, and then the final one was in sales. Yeah, cool. so I'd had a little bit of a look at various sides of the brewing industry but then i left that went into finance completely separate <laughs> different kind of role altogether. and then um and then moved back into the hospital side of things and that was when this this particular journey began yeah uh, tell us about tap house so the local tap house is a uh, effectively a shrine to better beer european style tavern um yeah. in st kilda east um, it's fitted out like a beautiful european tavern but it's all about showcasing the best beers from Australia and around the world. We used to have a bit more of a overseas bent to it. These days there's so much fantastic stuff coming out of Australia that we yeah. tend to focus more on Australian beer and it's much more fresh, etc. But we go through about 400 different beers every year. We wow. <laughs> also have great food, entertainment. Um, it's just about old-fashioned neighbourhood uh, you know, venue that uh, people feel comfortable and at home at
0: there's a plug guys, local tap house in St Kilda, in East St Kilda, get there. That's right. um, so, so I guess moving on from local tap house, what made you kind of um, start Stomping Ground? So if you can tell us about, uh, if you can tell us about the crew that you, you got started with um, and kind of where they came from in the world. And then, um, yeah, if you just tell us a little bit about, um, about how you actually got started and, and what it took to get started.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, I guess it really did morph out of the local tap house. So after being at the coalface of what was going on in the craft beer industry, which was really starting to take off, we understood started having a great understanding of what consumers were looking for and we were really excited by all these great, fantastic beers that were coming out. And we felt that we could do a good job of yep. producing our own beer and our own brand. So we really wanted to do that. We'd already had a crack at... Um, festivals so we we had festivals at the local tap house and we'd had all these fantastic festivals they were always themed called spectacular so we had american ones we had canadian ones we had uh, italian we had uh, new zealand beers and then one day we did an, an australian themed one we called it the great australian beer spectacular and that became gabs and everybody was falling over themselves to attend and it became so big that we had to take it off site to the Royal Exhibition Building in Carlton. Okay. <laughs> so uh, and then it grew over the years, over the la- over the following ten years into a, you know a multi-city festival in Brisbane, Auckland, Sydney, mm-hmm. and, and Melbourne, and uh, and so that was at the coalface face of beer as well, and it was all very much about showcasing amazing craft beer, and we just couldn't wait to have a stab at doing something ourselves as well. We thought we'd learnt so much as a cons- consumer-facing business. Yep understanding what the consumer trends were, what consumers were looking for, and and all the different brands that we were exposed to, we really wanted to have a crack at doing it ourselves.
0: Yeah, awesome. And is it so the same crew went from went from Tap House across the slumping ground and you kind of all, all kicked it off together?
1: Similar. So my business partner Steve and I started the local Tap House and our um, and Justin Joyner was our uh, our venue manager at the time. Yep. And he became he was much more than a venue manager, he was an integral part of the business. So when we decided to do Stomping Ground, uh, it it was a natural fit that he became part of our shareholder group. Um, And so it was the three of us that started Stomping Ground. And then a lot of the crew that we had at the Tap House... Um, start came over with us to Stomping Ground. Yeah, cool. Having said that, we did find a brewer, a head brewer, Asher, that we went and sourced and asked around. You know who's who's, who's the, the best? Who's, who's <laughs> the best? Who's the you know the most up and coming you know talented brewer? And a few different people that we spoke to pointed to Asher and said, um, give this guy a call. Yep. So we did. We spoke to him. He was keen. We took him on a trip around the U.S. and we visited every craft brewery that we could at tongue. is that as a job interview? Well, that's, uh, <laughs> it was hard work. You know. We had to taste a lot of beer. Oh, who would have thought? <laughs> so we were pretty, actually, we were pretty overwhelmed by how amazing the was and how much great variety there was in the US, but we were kind of underwhelmed at the hospitality offering and how the two, it was always sort of a bit of an afterthought it was a, a tap room but it wasn't really given a lot of thought
0: because craft in the u.s how many years before before the australian independent um, you know independent um you know brewery scene was the u.s kind of up and going
1: well i mean they say that it was right the end of the 70s that the craft beer revolution started in the states and if, depending on who you ask but the states was kind of 20 years ahead of us at some point at some point maybe 10 years i think we've kind of caught up and yep. we're pretty close behind maybe maybe a few years lagging in terms of trend so they were definitely the leader in the world in terms of the craft beer scene and it's all up through the you know
0: oregon california kind of like that that's really where it kicked off right yeah,
1: yes it kicked off in california i think they say that steam um anchor brewery and, and their steam ale was one of the first in um california also yep. sierra yep. nevada um, in in, Northern, in Chico, California as well, they were kind of two of the pioneers, yep. but also on the west coast, um, sorry on the east coast there were some great breweries as well, and, and of course a little bit in the middle, I mean Colorado is kind of considered west coast, but there's some great breweries in Colorado, um, but Oregon, huge again, and, and also the, the hop growing region of um, the, the United States is up in um, Washington State, yeah, okay. the Yakima Valley, yep. so it lends itself to. There's a, a lot of great breweries in Seattle, in Portland, Oregon, um, all sorts of places. Awesome! And um, so from there, you've gone on
0: this, you know, overseas trip and taken you, and taking your your new head brewer Asher over there. Um, what happens after that? Have you, have you, have you made plans back home to get all the equipment and, and, and get all that going or have, or did you want to just go and do a, you know, go off and do a, um, a bit of an investigative, uh, journalism piece overseas?
1: Yeah. So it was an investigative piece first. We wanted to see what we loved, what people were doing well, where we thought things could improve and really kind of build a suite of ideas that we could then go and implement. So when we got back, the next step was to try and find a site. So that was, pretty important and we wanted to find a site in a in an area and a location and a geography and a demographic that really kind of suited our brand. We knew what our brand was gonna be in terms of who it was going to appeal to, the kind of people that were going to um, that, that our brand was going to resonate with. And uh, and so we wanted to find a site in an in amongst that demographic so Collingwood was the obvious one for us and
0: can you can you uh can you outline or or detail exactly what that demographic is uh, the reason i ask is um you know part of part of every business is 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 targeting exactly who you want to go after as a customer and tailoring your product and tailoring your marketing message so who was that you know that that, that first customer that you wanted to get through the doors
1: well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because all marketeers will tell you that you really have to n- know that customer. And, and weirdly for us, we've, we've always said that we wanted to have broad appeal. We didn't want to go super niche and super narrow. So we've always gone for a, a wide range of, of people. Having said that, you do have to narrow down to some extent. And so ours were uh, inner city, uh, urban, um, people between the ages of, roughly 20 to 40 was probably bang on maybe maybe 45 um, we wanted to be very female friendly as well it didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't want it, our brand to be particularly blokey yep. needed to be appealing right across the board so we were going for you know um, people who were conscious um there's a there's a term called neos they're kind of um sometimes early adopters and and people who are trendsetters uh not in a hey i'm so cool look at me on but people who are a little bit more open-minded and willing to try something different or try something new yeah exactly but yeah we've our brand has got a bit of an urban edge to it um having said that we we love going hiking and we love, you know, the, the great outdoors as well. So yep. it is broadly appealing, but if you had to narrow it down, that's it. And how'd you, who came up with the name? Well, actually, we engaged somebody to help us with design yep. um, and they were actually helping us brand as well. And we actually ended up not using that person but, <laughs> yeah. but, that, but <laughs> because we didn't really like anything that they were coming up with. But in the, at the end of the day, um, they... Came up with stomping ground we were we were throwing up a whole <laughs> bunch of different names throwing up doesn't sound good we were we were yeah we were uh we were looking at a whole bunch of different names and stomping ground when we heard it um steven justin certainly loved it straight away it took yeah. me a little bit longer to come around to it for some reason but i'm absolutely in love with it now and and the reason we went with stomping ground was for a couple of reasons one Collingwood, once upon a time, was the epicentre of brewing in the whole of, um, not only Melbourne, but the whole of Australia. And over the years, all of these breweries has, had amalgamated and, and come together to, to the point where they were one big monolithic brewery. Which it's, is, a, it's a big building, And that it's one. <laughs> a big building in Abbotsford. And we were the first new brewery to open up in Collingwood in over 100 years. So we felt we were bringing wow. beer and brewing back to its original stomping ground. Yep, cool. Awesome. But a the stomping ground is also a place where you feel at home and comfortable. There's a sense of nostalgia about it, kind of harks back to old-fashioned values, and there's a sense of ownership over it. So this is my stomping ground or my old yep. stomping ground, yep. and we wanted people to connect with our brand in a way that they connect with their old stomping ground.
0: Absolutely. I mean, how many how many times have you heard a grandparent or a parent say, uh, "This is my old stomping ground." It just it just rolls off
1: the tongue and it said so much. So it makes makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And there's that, yeah, that nostalgia piece. Oh, I remember when things were a bit more simple. Yeah, for sure. You know? Well, we
0: certainly remember a time when it was a bit more simple.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, so, so tell me about the first year in business. Sure. Um, you know, the first year in business, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So you kind of, in, in some ways you're always making it up as you go along and there's no kind of amazing playbook uh That you kind of read and go, you know, step one, step two. You have a plan, you execute on that plan, but you learn everything along the way. So year one was really about assembling a core team. It was about finding the site. It was about starting to put the beer out there, and you know, it was really kind of uh, like I said, making it up as we go along. Mm -hmm. Cassie, um, for example, was one of our very first um, staff members. She'd come over from the Tap House. She was she was an assistant manager there. And we decided that she could be great in sales. And so she was helping me out in sales one day a week. And we didn't have packaged product or anything. So we were actually taking growlers and flasks yeah. of our beer to different customers. And like opening up the flask and saying, taste some of this. And they were going, yeah, that's good. I'll take two kegs <laughs> So it was very low fi We didn't even have any business cards. We had coasters that we produced and we were writing you know our name and number on the back of coasters and giving them to customers. I um I, I really I think every 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 great
0: business um, goes through that initial stage where they really haven't got a product mm. and they're out there just testing the market and saying, would someone pay money for this? Would someone <laughs> actually give us give you some of their hard earned for this? And um yeah I think it's it's interesting. I mean you know. Um, every i think every every good business does it we certainly did it like every you know everyone does it they you know you you, you gauge the market prior to you know prior to actually getting out there so so you've um, you've gone out and you've seen that people will actually pay for it and people will will buy the beer and and they have to sell it
1: yeah so uh, you know we it was all about first of all we we were all, we're all massive beer fans yeah so we were passionate beer fans we've been in the beer industry tasting Every single beer out there for quite a long time. Like I said, we've done the U.S. tour, um, we we did a European tour. We just were very obsessed with beer. So when Asha was making this fantastic beer, it was it was kind of easy for us to sell because we're pretty passionate about yeah, for it. Sure. So and passion sells. And when you really have conviction and you believe in what you what you produced, um, it kind of. I mean, I I, I want to say it sells itself. I mean, it never sells itself, but but at the same time. If it's a good product and the brand stands for something and you've got people that are passionate behind it then it's pretty compelling absolutely and, and, and that's what we found happened. we did we decided not to go into package at all for the first year it was so it was keg only Yeah. okay so we were basically just on tap in and around the brewery keeping it pretty local as much as we possibly could and it started really resonating with our customers People were loving it. Consumers were loving it. Yep. We had a lot of support from local venues. We had the odd venue that said, oh, you're a bit close to us. You're a competitor. Yep. But that was for every one of those. There were probably 10 others who said, oh, wow, you're around the corner. You're local. Yes, we'll definitely support you. Yep. Yep.
0: And what was the, what was kind of the cornerstone beer? Like obviously, um, you know, having a look at your range today, it's huge and you, and you obviously, um, create different beers for, you know, for a different palette. What was the, what was the kind of number one beer when you were coming up, when you were building that out? Well, what, what was the number one brew?
1: First beer we ever did from Collingwood was Gip Street Pale Ale mm-hmm. and it's on our brewery is on Gipp Street in yep. Collingwood. So the, the, the name Gip Street Pale Ale just kind of made sense. And it's still our biggest seller. Yep. So um, sometimes it's about 40% of all the beer we sell is Gipps Street Ale. It's a 5.2% ballsy American style ale. Got a lot of great American hop character to it. So some of that sort of summer tropical fruit character that you get from those American hops. It seems like the uh, trip over over to the States was, was probably worth it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, realistically, hops is part and parcel of the whole craft beer revolution. Without hops, I don't think the revolution would have gone in the direction that it did. It, it really brought hops to the fore. Yep. And prior to craft beer and this whole you know, craft beer revolution and the hop revolution, be, uh, hops were really just produced for their alpha acid content, so their bittering content. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since the birth of the Cascade hop and the American-style hops, um, from, from that region that I was telling you about in the northwest of the US, that's when craft beer really started to happen and you get really interesting characters from these different hop varieties. So I guess in some ways we, and, and, and you know, pale Ales were super popular as well, we were really paying respect to those uh, those styles that really took craft beer into to the masses which was like the Sierra Nevada parallel as an yeah, example in Australia the little creatures parallel yeah. um, when it first started was in in that sort of style
0: yeah that's been a, I mean I remember going on a footy trip over to Perth and, and going to little creatures in Fremantle there and it was a um, yeah it was an institution what for 12 13 years I'd say
1: yeah it was I mean it was one of our inspirations as well it was a, a great venue and they made great beer yeah awesome awesome so um
0: You've obviously got a you know a pretty big um, a pretty big team now. So obviously every part of every business is building a team and making sure you can trust the team and making sure the team's motivated. And um, you know, obviously you know the initial selection is pretty important as well. What do you look for in a team member? And um, you know that's probably the most important thing. What are their attributes? And um, and why is that successful when they actually go and execute?
1: It's a great question. H- hard to answer succinctly, but I'll try. You mentioned the word team, and I think that's probably a really important word to use because just like a football team or a cricket team, you can't have all full forwards or all backs or all centers or all on boarders or all bowlers or all batters. You really need different people to play different positions and you need strong people in those different positions. And it's the same with whether it's hospitality or brewing. You need strong players in their various teams. And some, uh, you need, what you. but what you do need is some sort of cohesion and a belief in what it is that we're all trying to achieve together. So if you're a football team or a cricket team, you're trying to you know, win a premiership or, uh, or you know, win a World Cup or, or win a series, mm-hmm. um, we have a really strong sense of purpose and to share our love of great beer with as many in our community as possible through consistently exceptional experiences. And that's what kind of gets us out of bed in the morning so all the people that work with us, uh, really connect with that. They really, they really understand that we're about diversity and we're about inclusion. So they connect to our sense of purpose, and then that then they'll be strong in their various fields. So, um, you know, we're looking for collaborative people. We're looking for cooperative people. We're looking for people that are really technically good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Whether that's in the finance team, great with numbers, uh, whether it's in the brewing team, really fastidious, great with cleanliness, um, really good with process. Sales team, great with people, great with building relationships, great at doing what they said they're going to do. Yep. So you really need a you know a team of a whole bunch of different styles of people. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And um, kind of moving on to,
0: I really wanted to ask you this question. Um, you know, my background has, has never been beer, so um, you know this is as much for, for my education as as anyone else. Um, Obviously, you, if you're in in the hospitality space, you know they used to talk about a third, a third, a third. You know, your third cost of goods, third wages, and all that type of thing. Obviously, lots changed um, since then. In hospitality, you've probably got you know probably half goes on wages now, and a quarter maybe a <laughs> quarter ish goes on cost of goods sold, and then there might be a bit of pro, a, a bit of money left over for overheads and profit. Um, what's the breakdown
1: usually in, in the in the in the brewery vertical? So, it's different depending on your scale. Brewing is a very is is completely a scale game unlike hospitality where you mentioned you can get some benefits of scale and hospitality as well staffing costs can come down the bigger you are as a percentage of turnover cost of goods are generally quite pinned or um to to revenue albeit if you are a group you can you've got good buying power you can reduce your costs a little bit with brewing the bigger you are the smaller your cost of production is and the smaller your cost of goods can be because and also your variable costs associated with manufacturing or brewing um, come down significantly as well for example if you are a relatively small brewer and you're on a you know 10 hectolitre brew kit you still need the same amount of labor to create a brew on a 10 hectolitre kit that you do to do a brew on a 100 hectolitre so you can do know 10 times the volume in one brew with the same amount of labor yep so labor is completely scalable and then when you're talking about the big guys you know they've got massive um you know massive scale and it changes the equation completely yep so where we sit in that whole um um that whole scale uh, What, what am I, what's the word i'm looking for the um uh <laughs> the pecking order <laughs> no no uh, the the, the uh, I'll, it'll come to me in a second uh the big boys are here yep everybody else is is way over on okay. the on the left hand side and we're you know so we're, we're completely a subscale um, producer compared to those big boys so our cost of goods will be and it depends on how you, you know how you define your cost of goods will be roughly around you know the 55 60% mark yep uh, depending on whether you've got logistics in there, et cetera. So profit margin, uh, the gross profit margin is about 40% and out of that 40%, we still have to take out labor, utilities, rent, yep. um, you know, marketing expenses, yep, sales right. expenses, all of those sorts of things. So it's, a, it's a, unlike cost of goods in, in hospitality, which are around about 30%, yep. like you were saying. Maybe twenty five percent. Um, it's more like sixty percent cost of goods. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, in in uh, in brewing in manufacturing for us for the big boys, it's much
0: less. It's probably that's, that probably leads on to uh, leads on to um a, another area. I, I wanted to ask this a bit later on, but we can kind of jumble it up. Um, you've got guys like um you know Bolter and, and Mountain Goat and these kind of guys that, that that sold to you know your ABM Bevs and your Sahis um yeah. you know, s- some time ago. Yeah would they see the benefit of that scale once they fold in or would they keep operating their businesses um, in, in, the, in the same manner? Um, obviously they haven't got the volume of distribution that mm-hmm. the others have. So they might not benefit so much from their, the scalability of the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So um, in your mind, would they benefit um, from from kind of increasing their, it from, um, would they have the scale benefits that the, the big guys get because they're folding in or would they continue to run their operations as they were?
1: I think they do get the benefits of the scale. It's not necessarily immediate. Mm-hmm. Often the smart acquisitions these days are letting them run their own race for a while yep. uh, without changing too much, certainly when it comes to sales and marketing. But there are always synergies around things like wood production, uh, buying, you know, getting grain cheaper, getting hops cheaper, getting aluminium cheaper, getting glass cheaper, mm-hmm. um, getting cardboard cheaper, all of these things. Then brewing at a much larger scale, for instance, one of the key products or one of the sort of the flagship products of any one of those acquired breweries being taken over to larger scale, uh, would definitely create some huge benefits in terms of cost of production
0: and I'd imagine um, you know obviously a lot of these um, do a lot of the the, the majors have they got um, have they got breweries in each in each state kind of thing or do they do they all, all, I mean or do they all do a lot of it out of the out of the victorian
1: no they do generally have breweries in each state yeah, okay uh, CuB's got breweries in each state um, uh, lions got breweries in each state although their breweries is in uh, Geelong. That's mm-hmm. the Little Creatures Brewery now. They never had a big, big brewery, but they did have one in every other state. Uh, it's interesting because the big brewers are finding that craft beer and independent beer has torn strips off mainstream. Yep. So some of their big, big breweries are almost too big for craft beer. So they've kind of been caught that they need this kind of medium-scale uh, brewing facilities. Yeah, okay. And the, And... Uh, as in uh, too expensive to
0: run a big one, um, and and t- kind of too expensive to run a big one, and too much for a small one type of thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, but but so they they you know they're smart and they're they're figuring out how to how to right size yeah. the brewing operation for for the brands that they've acquired and 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 they've got various different sizes. So for instance, Little Creatures is a perfect example. It's uh it's a big enough brewery to take on something like Furfy. um and uh you know and 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 little creatures but uh and and really sort of they can put other brands in in there that are kind of in between the small scale production of of a craft brewer and a medium that's the medium scale and it's not quite ready to go to you know the massive sort of lidcombe plant or the or the abbotsford plant at cub or anything like that all right right. the um the, so moving on
0: from that um, around the, um, so obviously uh, that's talking about kind of consolidation of some of these smaller breweries, um, the independent breweries that are, that are selling up. Um, what we've seen recently, and we've seen quite a lot of it is, you know, groups like, you know, Gage Roads and Mighty Craft and, and 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 those type of groups, they've, um, they've been buying up breweries and distilleries and, and putting them into groups. Um, do you see the market going down that kind of consolidation route or do you see um, that true independence kind of? kicking on for the for the foreseeable future
1: i think i think i see both happening i think there's always going to be a place for independence and i think consumers really it resonates with consumers that whole concept of independence so i think there's always going to be the emergence of new independence and the existence of independence but i do think that there's going to be consolidation phase as well yep primarily because it you know brew, new breweries it's been so prolific in the space that I don't know that the market can sustain 700, 800, 1,000 breweries there's a lot of entrants like them. obviously there's
0: been so many entrants in the last in the last 24 months as it's gone yeah you know, it's stepped up a gear again
1: well put to, when we started the local tap house back in 2008 I think there were about 25 different breweries wow. in Australia <laughs> yeah. and now there's you know Seven, 700 yeah <laughs> so you can see what the trajectory is like and I don't think that it is, um, you know, that it is sustainable. So I think that there's going to be a consolidation phase. I think some uh, players like the Mighty Crafts um, and the, you know, the um, the Gauge Roads and perhaps you know some of the other ones will. Um, there, there's there's a, a, a place for some consolidation to yep. happen in the market for sure. Yeah. And I think Tribe has had a crack at it as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so we'll probably see more of it over the next few years, I reckon. And that kind of brings me
0: to, the, to my last question. And um, it's really around um, the next generation of, of brewers and, and the next generation of business owners in this space. What would be your uh, advice to someone who's thinking about entering the market? Obviously, there is, you know, it's a, it's a crowded market and mm-hmm. it's it, like right now, it would be no doubt it's pretty difficult to get moving from a standing start. Um, what would be your advice to someone who's looking to enter the market?
1: So, when a lot of people entered the market in the very first phase, it was because they absolutely loved beer and mm-hmm. they were right into beer and they really believed in what they were doing and it was kind of almost like an ethos or a or a, or a um, you know something that they really were a passionate about religion almost. a religion, a yeah. religion. Then a lot of some some people then saw. You know, some acquisitions happen, whether it was Mountain Goat or Little Creatures, which was one of the first ones, um, even cricketers Arms, etc., and felt that, you know, there was a lot of money to be made here if you played your cards right, and you got some smart players coming in. And I reckon almost Four Pines could be considered one of those. Like, I reckon those guys were pretty smart, and they always had a view to eventually sell. Yep. Um, I think they were passionate about beer as well. Um, but I think that they were super smart guys that, um, that did a really good job but always had an exit in, in, in mind. Um, and I think that, that at that maturity level of the industry, I think there was plenty of room for those sorts of players. These days, if people are jumping into the industry because they are keen on an exit or they're keen on you know, making shitloads of money, um, I think they'll probably get a rude shock yep. because it is massively competitive um, there's real downward pressure on pricing to be competitive. It's very hard, um, to make money out of it. Um, so if you're going to get into it, my advice would be get into it for the right reason yep. because you can't really guarantee that you're going to be able to exit it in, in any kind of, um, big earnout out kind of way. So, you better love what you're doing yep, because it's a, it's, a, it's a tough and it's a long grind. Yep. Um, and, and that's, you know, and, and, and that's, I think that's just the reality of it being in a really competitive market. And the other advice I would say is that manufacturing, as we've already discussed, and therefore brewing, is a real scale game. So, it's very hard to get anywhere near profitability or certainly cash flow positive kind of territory until you get a certain scale so the only way to make it work to kick things off is with hospitality you need to be able yep. to sell your own beer at the full hospitality margin
0: have venues to be able to support it and, and distribute it yeah
1: and that's i think that's um if you if you don't do that i don't it's i think it'd be very hard to survive and and these you know contract brewing there are still some brands that generally are only contract brewers they don't have their own bricks and mortar I think we've seen a period of time where it's very, very hard to survive as a pure contract brewer. Mm-hmm. If you contract brew for a period of time while you build a brand until you bring in some production yourself, I think that can work. But I think being purely a contract brewer is um, it would be pretty hard to make it work. And what
0: I've seen is that product, the product that you go with, um, if you're a later entrant into the market, just say if you entered in the last 24 months, if you want to be... Um, if, you wanna, if you wanna kick off really, really fast and be able to distribute quite heavily. Um, what, what I've seen is a lot of these you know, um, gluten-free, for example, and they've really, some of these brands have really focused on you know, just doing one or two beers that are slightly different. They've really differentiated product and taken a bit of a punt and a bit of a risk. And um, you know, some of those guys have, you know, have seen some real scale Um, so, I mean, would you, would you tell people just to brew what they want to brew or would you, would you encourage them to, to try and find a niche in the market that they're passionate about?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I guess, you know, one of the things that always surprises me is, you know, the emergence of a new style and, and, and sometimes you can't pick it. You just see it happen and you just, (laughs) and it just, and there it is. So so, I think the same building, as fashion, same as technology, same yeah. as
0: anything. It just it just hits. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I, th- I think trying to um, figure that out, you know, and try to pick something based on what you think is going to um, really go is, is a tough one. But I think if it's based on passion and, and you know what it is that you love, and, and you 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 know it's it's something that excites you, um, then I think it can. It, it's probably likely that other people are going to feel the same way you do about it. Like for instance, we saw seltzes um yep. really kind of hit the market in the last couple of years and go absolutely nuts. I win I was, I could never get excited about seltzes myself. I don't drink them, I'm not excited by them. And I know people are making shitloads of money out of them. And I know some breweries have pivoted to the point where they're almost two-thirds of their production is seltzers. But I for for us, we could just I could you know it's all about what I love and passion. And I can't, I can't go and say, try this seltzer. It's amazing because I'm not, I just don't like seltzer. (laughs) So, uh, so, and, and interestingly, I just read an article from the U S that's seen seltzer go ballistic and then it's now dropping off a cliff. Now maybe Australia will follow as well. It, t- it tends to. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. But then there'll be something that comes and replaces that. So it's so really... I don't know, you know if I've answered your question. No, yet. you have.
0: You have. It's basically, unless you unless you want to brew it and unless you are passionate about it, it's very, very difficult to make it a... it probably be difficult to make it a priority I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, I mean, having said that, we, we know that we, we can see some macro trends happening. And some of the macro trends are Hyperlocalism, so people really getting behind local. Um, One of the other trends is moderation. There's a real trend towards moderation. I think, you know, when we started, everything was about big ABV beers. You know, eight percent IPAs, ten percent. You know, uh, imperial Russian stouts. (laughs) Um, These days, you know, the last five years or four years has really been about sessionability. We've seen a lot of you know um, beers come out in their in the four percent range some in the mid strength range and now we're seeing even more moderation type beers coming out sub three and a half to you know two and a half percent and all the and zeros and, zero. and, and I mean, alcohol
0: freeze you have a look at heaps normal and, and, and groups like that and they've just you know the last 24 mile probably 12 months it's just been crazy for them so yeah um yeah and obviously they've been winning awards all over the shop as you guys have as well so <laughs> it's uh it's awesome
1: yeah um, so I, th- I think that's one of the trends. Uh, we've seen, you know, there's probably a couple of other trends as well that you could, um, that, you know, if you're close to it, you can, you can pick and you can try and play in that space. And I think one of the, one of the, um, one of the things that we're learning at the moment is to be fast to fail. Mm -hmm. So to really kind of have like, sometimes you kind of want to watch it and say, is it really going to go? And then you can miss the boat. Yeah. So sometimes it's worthwhile going, if you, if you believe in the product, um, actually, getting out there and just doing it yourself straight away, and then if it flies, fantastic. And If it doesn't, who cares? If you've got
0: the infrastructure there yeah. and you've got the ability to produce, it's um, it's you know it makes it makes sense that you you, you try and ride the wave again.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right.
0: <laughs> yeah, cool, yeah. awesome, mate. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you sp- spending the time with us today. My pleasure. Yeah, awesome. Cheers. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. No worries.